Welcome to Untold Physio Stories, a podcast that informs and educates by connecting you to rehab industry leaders who share their candid successes and failures in business and practice. This episode of Untold Physio Stories is sponsored by Edge Mobility System. Edge Mobility System is your online site for everything a PT, OT, DC, MT, ATC, or fitness pro would need. Get certified in blood flow restriction therapy or training online. Check out our full modern manual therapy seminars, ISTM toolkit, edge suspension trainer, portable tables, and more. Untold Physio Stories listeners can save 10% by going to edgemobsys.com. That's E-D-G-E-M-O-B-S-Y-S.com slash untold to save 10% off their first purchase. Edge Health and Tech Solutions. We do websites that work for you and give you an edge over the competition. Did you know that you have less than 10 seconds to capture someone's interest in your website before they click away? How about the fact that most people are accessing your website from their phone? Save thousands and get a fully mobile, appealing, and SEO-optimized website linked to your social media, email list, and Google My Business. All for one low price and no monthly fees. Why not keep doing what you do best in your business and allow us to handle the tech side? Let's get started. Find us at edgehealthandtech.com. Welcome back to Untold Physio Stories. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. E. And with me today, uh, my co-hosts are not here, uh, but my good friend, Adam Wolf, is on the podcast today. How are you doing? Person, I'm great, man. Thank you for having me on. It's, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, no problem. So uh, give us a quick intro and then tell us your story, Adam. Yeah, my name is Adam Wolf. I'm a physical therapist, a massage therapist from Chicago, and I've been in practice for 15 years now. And I've owned my own practice for 11 of those 15 years. And for the past year and a half almost, I uh, opened up my own facility. So for those first about 10 years working on my own, I had done like a lot of uh, clinicians and rented space and personal training studios and the like. And so while I think that's still a great model and something that we do focus on a little, I opened up my own facility last year uh, called the Movement Guild. And it's in Chicago and it's a uh, I like that name because it's an association of like-minded professionals, and I like it because uh, it, it really does encompass what we are. It's physical therapy, massage therapy, personal training, kind of small group personal training, yoga slash mobility classes, and then we have recovery, a full sauna, and uh, infrared sauna, compression, that kind of stuff. So trying to put it all, I, I, uh, I always struggled with being in other places in that I sort of felt like everybody wasn't on the same movement page, like philosophy of movement page, and everybody sort of had it out for themselves, renting space, the, the gym owner and the massage therapist that rented and the chiropractor that would rent. And, the, and, and not everybody was kind of aligned. And so that was the impetus in opening up my own space. Uh, that and I wanted to listen to my music when I wanted to listen to it. So uh, it's been about That's a year. That's an even better reason. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I, and that's what's so important to me. You know, I, I kind of get into bad music and movements are the two things that I sort of geek out at. And you know that you came here. We had this opportunity to talk when you were here teaching right before this lockdown started, if I'm not mistaken. 
I know this is the last live course. That was the last live course I, I had in uh, 2020. What a crazy year. Yeah. Uh, but I would highly recommend if you are in the Chicago area and you need any kind of personal training, massage, rehab, recovery, whatever, I would go to the Movement Guild. It is an awesome space. It's probably one of my favorite places to teach at. Adam does play awesome music, but I love the brand and I love the reason behind the brand. So um, I just need you to speak up a little bit because you're a lot lower Absolutely. than me. Or maybe How's that? Better? Awesome. Yeah. Use your lecturing voice. Adam is also a well-known lecturer. So uh, what's, your, what's your story? I wanted to share a story. We were talking about uh, some failures and I know we don't really talk about those a lot, but with the story, I wanted to share uh, a failure that I had with a post-concussion patient. Uh, that I saw probably nine, ten months ago, maybe it was a year ago at this point. And uh, I have been slowly over the past four or five years, <clears throat> excuse me, getting more into uh, the brain-based idea of interacting with people. I, I'm sort of, I feel really, uh, excuse me, I feel really uh, excited about learning about the brain and been really interested in learning about what I call subclinical integration dysfunction. And what I mean by that is like the people that simply have an opportunity to improve the way their brain takes up information. Uh, and if we think about, you know, anybody that has shoulder pain, anybody that has neck pain, these are people that, uh, you know, if you think about the shoulder end or the neck, well, then the, the otoliths or, uh, you know, sort of vestibular systems automatically play into those type of pieces. The shoulder, because the rubrospinal tract goes through the medial vestibular nucleus. And so, Looking at the population of patients that I've worked with, I always sort of think about the ones that I didn't get better or helped to get better. And I, you know, the ones that I could have gotten back or whatnot. And, and I think about the patients that had chronic pains. Anybody, in my opinion, that has chronic pain is expressing uh, what I call a subclinical integration dysfunction. They don't have like vestibular BPPV or dizziness, but they're still the brain. There's an opportunity to reconcile the way the brain is taking up information. And so anybody with chronic pain, anybody with like bilateral pain, bilateral knee pain, both sides, the same joint, both sides of their body, in my opinion, anybody with all right sided pain. I mean, how often do you hear uh, that, the you know, oh, it's on my right side's my bad side. So these type of things, in my opinion, these are people that are expressing sort of this dysfunction. And so while I've been learning about it for the past probably four or five years intensely, only within the past probably 18 months or so as I started to have an interest in working with some of that post-concussion, maybe a little bit more clinical population. And those populations get really, uh, they're, they're fragile. They can be really fragile because, you know, I, I, I think about working at thresholds and, and so you want to be at people's thresholds to make a difference, but you don't want to step over their thresholds. And so I think about a, uh, a patient in particular and she had post-concussion and she was a recommendation. We work with a lot of yoga practitioners. My wife, runs the facility here with me and she's a yoga instructor. So we teach a lot of yoga teachers and so consequently get a lot of referrals from yoga practitioners. But this one, this lady came in and she was sort of having some dizziness and anxiety and all those sort of post concussive things. And as we were getting better working with her, you know, it sort of becomes an issue as to uh, when, how much to push and how much to try to recommend and let the patient drive it, but also say, well, I think this is going to help you. And those type of things. And so the patient that I think about really what it was, it, it became sort of a, uh, the failure I think was in the communication between her and I, because I felt that I was really, 
that I was expressing what, what the benefits and risks were to some of the things that we were doing. And, and, and while in retrospect, she maybe didn't feel that way. And what I think about specifically is that uh, we were starting to get some of her dizziness we were felt was coming from cervicogenic. So we felt that, yeah, well, some of it was vestibular. And obviously when we think about concussions, they're sort of the same mechanisms as, as whiplash injuries in terms of there being like a high rotary force and it tends to be a brainstem. Uh, we can focus on the brainstem and sort of improving the afferent that comes into the brainstem. And so some of, as we were starting to work some soft tissue on her and getting, she had what I perceived as to be uh, an opportunity to get one bone moving a little bit better on the other bone. So without getting too caught into terms, more of a joint restriction versus a soft tissue restriction. And so I chose to, after working with her for a session or two, I think it was our third session, we did some soft tissue work. She said it felt a little better. Fourth session, did a little bit more soft tissue work, a little bit more intense. I didn't want to like scare her away because she's some anxiety. And so it got to the point, I think on session four or five, when I felt that uh, cervical adjustment, manipulation, whatever we're going to call it, the high velocity movement in her neck specifically to one segment would maybe help her. And so I explained why I thought this and what might be the benefits of it. And she was a little apprehensive. And I said, that's no problem. It's your neck. You know, if you want to do it, you can or not. And so she ended up choosing to do it or what I perceived as her choosing to do it and uh, ended up having a headache later that day. And, and then I got a call from her the next day and that it wasn't any better and that she felt that I had betrayed her trust because uh, she didn't feel that I explained to her enough of why I was doing what I was doing. And it, 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 it broke the trust. And that was so I think probably one of the bigger failures that I've had. And it was also was a really large lesson, a learning opportunity for me. Now, uh, fortunately, I do a lot of studying about the brain and concussion with some colleagues here in Chicago that are really good at, at the brain. Um, and, and they tend to work more like within the chiropractic neurology, sort of functional neurology, Carrick type world. They do a lot with dizziness and the anxiety and all these pieces. So I had recommend to her before we even got started, I said, hey, four or five sessions. And that's sort of my general rule. If you're not getting better in four with me, you're out the door. I'm going to refer you on. And so I made the same, the first session I say that, and I said to her, if I'm not getting you, if I can't help you, I know the people that I want to refer you to. And so it's sort of, for me, it was a loss because I, I do feel like in retrospect that it was warranted and I do feel that she was getting better and that the reasons behind what I was having her do were very solid in my thought process, but the trust was broken there and that became like a larger issue. And uh, fortunately it, it did work out because she did go to see my friends and colleagues uh, and, and I know that she ended up getting better, but I would say that that was probably one of the bigger overall failures that I feel like I've had as a clinician over the past few years, certainly. Yeah. No matter how long you've been out, uh, there are always communication issues like that. And, uh, we don't always see it initially, but I think if you, usually when you, when you reflect back on the whole interaction, you can kind of see signs like maybe they're shifting or maybe they're uneasy about it or, or something, um, but uh, w you know what? Sometimes it, it is also a failure of the patient, and we we forget to to think that of ourselves too. Like maybe they weren't clear enough, or maybe uh, they could have stopped you if they had any apprehension about it. Um, but definitely, there's a trust issue, and there's a communication is a two way thing. So she probably could have said, "Hey, you know what? What are you doing? I thought we I didn't agree to this, but um, who knows? Uh, yeah, you know, just I mean, the fact that." 
Go ahead. Sorry. Just just the fact that you felt uh, that you feel bad about it, and you you know you blame you place the onus on yourself. I mean, that's great because a lot of clinicians would just be like, you know, their ego would be like, oh well, you know, it was obviously only her fault, and I did my best and whatever, et cetera. I thought I explained it to you. Um, yeah. but I'm glad everything worked out because many times these patients fail to take any recommendation and all they give you is a bad review and bad word of mouth. So I'm glad it still worked out for you. I am too. And, you know, and her. It was a, yeah. And her more importantly. And I look at it as a learning opportunity and, you know, some of my, upon reflecting on it and conversations with my wife and things like that, one of the things that she always says to me that I don't need to give everybody everything I have right away. And, and my, you know, I think about like growing up and conversations my father and I had about sports and, letting the game come to you rather than having to show everything that you do. And I can, you know, upon reflection, see, I think when people come in and I want to help them so much that I feel like one of the things I'm learning more as I get to be a more experienced clinician is, is to, you know, sort of let the game come in, to me per se and not have to feel the need to give every patient everything that I have because that's easily can scare them away or it's they not everybody needs everything. And even if we think about it scientifically, you know, throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks is not as good of a strategy as really having a, a solid thought process about understanding what's the input that I'm going to put in and is the input that I put in the expected output. And if not, then why isn't the expected output? So, so I felt that's something that I've been working on just overall, like larger in terms of just evolving as a clinician is like not is, is getting more information up in the beginning of my sessions. I've recently within the past year gone to a 90 minute eval rather than a 60. And even within that 90 minutes, very few times am I treating anybody in that 90 minutes. I get a lot of objective information. We do a lot of talking. Sometimes I'll do a little work on them if I feel it's that, you know, if it's going to help to the end result of them buying into why we maybe are doing something, but I'm always going to give them one or two things to, to walk out the door with. And, and so giving less and, and taking my time with it and not having to give everybody everything all the time is something that I think is a, something that's helped me as a clinician as I've gotten older here doing this. Sure. Lots of knowledge bombs dropped today. Uh, so where can people find you and uh, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, absolutely. My, you can find me uh, well, on Instagram at Adam Wolf PT and on YouTube and uh, Facebook, all that Adam Wolf PT, W-O-L-F. Uh, my website is uh, the Movement Guild Chicago. We're in the process of changing it to movementguild.com, but uh, Movement Guild Chicago, and I'd like to plug my book. I just came out with uh, this past week. I released my second book, which is called Foundations of Movement, a Brain-Based Musculoskeletal Approach, and it's really uh, geared towards, as I've been saying, like that subclinical integration dis population uh, that has an opportunity to just improve the afferent they get. They talk a lot about – actually, I picked up writing this second book, Urson, uh, with a chapter that I did not include in my first book, and that was on pain. And I didn't write on pain because I was intimidated by writing about working with people in pain. And so we picked up the book there and sort of expanded it. Uh, it's it's neuro-edited, is what I like to say, by a friend and colleague who's a, uh, a, a fellow of chiropractic neurology through the Carrick Institute and actually worked directly with Ted Carrick. Uh, and so it does it's, – it's got a musculoskeletal sort of outpatient perspective of – how to incorporate the brain, a brain-based approach, but it, it, it also has these, what I like to call neuro nuggets of just information that, that my friend uh, and colleague Mike Drizwicki uh, put into it. So it, it's sort of trying to bridge the gap and get, you know, I teach a lot, as, as you said, and 
my observation is that this brain-based approach and understanding that the brain really is, I like to think of the brain as a submarine driver. And the person driving the submarine doesn't ever know where they're driving the submarine. They get information from the person, uh, the periscope and, and the sonar and drive up and down. And when, it's the same with the brain. Your brain gets information from your proprioceptive system, your vestibular, your visual systems. And a lot of times there's, uh, if, if the brain doesn't receive the same afferent information, uh, the brain needs to use cognition to reconcile the differences. This can be seen in movement. And if we understand that, we can sort of take advantage of it. And so the, this book talks about that and, you know, that, that idea about pain and if pain is an output, well, then let's change the input. And the question really becomes what input to change. And so we get into the thought process and that idea of testing and retesting and just understanding that if I put something into the system, I would expect an, a certain output. Am I getting it or not? Yes or no. And if not, then some of the thought process is associated to to incorporate, whether it's layering an eye exercise into a musculoskeletal exercise or doing a vestibular ocular reflex while we're doing a specific movement, or sometimes it's not layering, doing an, a movement with a, a visual or vestibular exercise. Sometimes it's doing it in between musculoskeletal movements, just sort of depending on the threshold and, and the capacities of the person. And that's stuff that we talk about in the book. So that was my long winded plug. Person. Wow, that is a great plug. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed <laughs> your first. I, I enjoyed your first book, and I do plan on picking up the second one. You know, the problem is with Kindles and everything. I am like in the middle of three books. I'm still trying to finish Todd Hargrove's second book, which I love. But uh, man, it's just like too much. I'm just inundated with too much information, right? There's so much to read out there. There really is, and the book is available on Kindle, by the way. And it also is I will be picking it up on Kindle for sure this weekend. All right, well, hey, well, thanks for coming on, Adam. And uh, hopefully sometime in 2021, we can reconnect in person again. I'm looking forward to it, Erson. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. All right. Have a good day. You too. Well, you can find me, uh, Dr. E, at Modern Rehab Mastery. That's our new online mentoring program. It includes modern manual therapy, modern patient education, and modern strength training. It's three months with three mentors. So one month with each mentor, four weeks, tons of modules, Lots of CEUs, learn at your own pace for a month, then move on. Um, so go beyond the seminar. You also get chat room um, with your mentees and mentors and live Q&As every week. Check out all my products, Edge Mobility System. We have the new Edge ISTM toolbox that includes the Edge Mobility Star and the OG Edge Mobility Tool. Our edge restriction system BFR cuffs. That's part of Dr. Kyle Coffey's Modern Strike Training BFR certificate. Uh, I hope to see you at a live eclectic approach course soon. That's Modern Manual Therapy um, in US, Canada, and South America. And uh, make sure to rate Untold Physio Stories five stars on Apple Podcasts. You could also subscribe on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And as always, you guys have an awesome day.